listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from Megawind Keelguard Studios. What, what, what? Here we go, Aaron. Another episode of Bass Edge Radio. Dude, November 1. I gotta, gotta give a quick shout out, Aaron, to the veterans of the world. November yes, 11th, which, you know, is in the uh, foray of this episode's featured time frame, November 1 through November 15th. So I want to give a big shout out to uh, the veterans. Thank them for their service and, and what they've done to uh, continue to make America what it is today. Absolute sacrifice, you know, no doubt. Certainly, we appreciate all of those efforts that are out there. And, you know, Kurt, Bass Edge, as we always mention, it is brought to us by our great friends at MegaWare Kill Guard, the first do-it-yourself kill protector, the battery guard, the flex step, the skate guard, all of those things that help make our uh, personal watercraft bass boats what they are and kind of, uh, you know, keeps them in tip-top shape so that we can stay out there doing what we love. And speaking of doing what we love, BFL Grand Lake Regional took place uh, not too long ago. Just want to throw a quick shout out to the boys, Chris Bunk, getting it done on the uh, non-boater side, taking second place. He is on his way to the All-American. And then, of course, Derek Felton uh, coming in at eighth place. And, you know, I very believe- cool to have that local flavor. Love the local yeah, Missouri yeah. flavor. Yeah, there, there's a lot of the uh, Ozark division did did pretty well. A lot of them going to be going to Hartwell again. So that, that'll be neat. We'll be following that. I believe that's going to be next May there, Kurt. And uh, I, I also think there was a Bass Fishing Hall of Fame ceremony that took place. Yes, absolutely. The Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. And what a year class. Shout out Tommy Biffle, Kathy Fennell course previous BASS tournament director back in the day Dewey Kendrick the late Aaron Martins Steve Quinn who came from I think it was in Fisherman that you know kind of Minnesota right right and then of course uh Lonnie Stanley everybody has thrown a Lonnie Stanley lure at some time in their life from the Stanley wedge to the uh, Stanley jig the ribbit uh man just a lot of cool stuff that uh, all of the class of 2022. Certainly a bunch of legends in that yes, group, no doubt. Absolutely. Great to have them part. Wish I was a part. Of the whole. <laughs> Aaron, can you pull some trains? How do I get in the Hall of Fame, bro? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no connections there. The greatest podcast of all time? Uh, uh, possibly. Aaron Martin, Earth <laughs> Hall of Fame. We got to start lobbying for this, dude. We do. And uh, yeah. I have zero connections on that front, Kurt. I'll, I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> okay. Well, I did want to mention something else, uh, kind of along the same lines of, of legends in our sport. Ray Scott, of course, passed away back in May. But last month, first time maybe I've ever seen this you know, type of thing shown live in our industry, but, but it, was, it was the uh, celebration of life for Mr. Ray Scott, the founder of BASS. Maybe we could all say the founder of competitive tournament bass fishing no doubt but, uh, it was a really cool uh ceremony they had you can watch this on video through bassmaster.com i'm sure they fired it on their youtube channel as well but uh it's great to see guys like johnny morris bill dance roland martin bob cobb you know so many others uh you know kind of pay some respects and tell some great stories about Ray Scott. So I encourage all Bass Edge listeners to uh, check that out. And, yeah, so cool. So cool. And speaking of, of Bass, B-A-S-S, Bass Master, that is, you know, we, I believe, have 12 qualifiers uh, yeah. that have been named to the elites from the Opens. We have. We're going to get some of these qualifiers on the airwaves, but uh, shout out to folks that have been on the show before. Uh, Keith Poche qualified, John Sukup qualified, Brad Holman, and we will bring in some of these other new faces. So excited to uh, see some new blood in the Elite Series for 2023 and some blood new but old blood. <laughs> so uh, it's cool to uh, see some guys like Poche and, and Hallman that have been in the Elite Series before come first full circle back around into it. We'll, we'll see how that uh, plays out for those guys, but excited for it. And speaking of Brad Hallman, we've come across some interesting information. Uh, Brad, you know, close friend of the show, We're going to break down with Brad coming up right now in a segment about power for your boat. What's the minimum standard you need with the new electronic setups? And what is a ultimate 
system set up. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Bass Edge Radio. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. You know, Aaron, we had a great conversation with Pro Guide Batteries earlier this year on powering your rig and what types of batteries are there for the consumer's choosing. Man, I got to tell you, since then, I personally had my own power struggles and really started bouncing them off some of the other anglers because I wasn't ready to kind of invest in a new system or exactly what kind of new system I would need to run a, a solid electronic setup. But since then... I talked to Brad Hallman, new BASS Elite Series angler, I might add. Congratulations, Brad. But yes, I had a wonderful chat, wanted to bring this information to all of our Bass Edge listeners. So here we are on some additional ideas about how to power your boat. Bottom line is, if you're going to go all in on the new generation of electronics, essentially meaning having two units up front with a live unit dedication the other unit up front with your gps and your sonar system and then your console unit having the gps and sonar system you know the bottom line is you better power them well but brad i want to thank you for stopping back in to bass edge radio to hash out some more information on this important topic and congratulations on the elite series birth thank you man it's great to be back to you and aaron on bass edge radio well hey brad let's get right to the nitty-gritty break down your boat's power setup and why you know some may say it's it's overkill you're you're backing up the backup right uh you know you've heard it all before somebody and i think once said hey it's, it's like avionics you're, you're running backups to the backup so uh dive off into it if you would please yeah just to make mine real simple in layman's term for my trolling motor i'm basically running a 36 volt battery but i run two of them and it's one battery that's 36 volts i run two of those and i run them in parallel meaning they're red to red black to black you know control motor because they are a 36 volt and then um on the cranking i run 31 series agm 12 volt but i run three of those and so there's five batteries in my boat and those agms are also tied in parallel only in 12 volt system straight to the cranker so that's why I get some of the overkill uh, comments that I get. But I run the three AGMs because at a moment's need, if a lithium was to go down, which they go down without warning when they do, and that's what scares me about them, the three AGMs can be tied together as a 36-volt unit backup for the trolling motor and still be used as a 12-volt for the cranker at the same time. Brad, what a system you've got there. It really shocked me when we started talking about this and you had three 12-volt cranking, i.e. electronics, batteries in parallel, specifically because, you know, you hear a lot about even myself, I'm running a single 12-volt battery on my electronics and my cranking. And with the new system, I buy a really nice battery. Uh, it's pretty expensive, but it's it has lots of uh, reserve minutes. It's a wonderful battery, and it works good for about 12 months. The problem is that I wear out that battery or discharge that battery so low and once you discharge it so low so many times, the shelf life or the length of life of that battery is essentially shortened significantly. So although, yes, it works and it gets me by, I mean, it's it's not the long-term issue for an angler that's spending some quality time out there on the water. After I described to you my issues when we were talking about power, Brad, what's your basic thought process if you have a full AGM system, the minimum an angler should have? 
Well, it's pretty easy, and this is we need to look at this so like your listeners are not thinking that we're trying to sell them batteries because we're not. The things that have really changed here is, is, is quite honestly, the trolling motors become brushless and wireless, and they use less power than they used to. But what we've done is, is we've added these new, bigger, and more powerful electronics. And even if you don't have three of them or four of them, they still suck more electricity than what the older units used to. So yes. if you're using new side imaging and live scopes and all the great things that are out there, they're using more energy along with the power poles and the systems. And so using that one battery is not quite what it used to be. And we used to spend a lot of money and kind of do like what you're doing, Kurt, and, and you run into that issue. I, I think the minimum, you know, if you were asking if we were going to use an acid system, you know, you don't even have to buy the 31 series. You, you could go down to the 20, 29, I believe, to one size down from it. Um, right. so a smaller battery, it's less cost, but you could get two of them. And two 29s parallel together are going to do much better than just one really expensive 31. So that's something to think about. There's many different ways you can skin this cat. And if you wanted to go lithium, you could literally go 12-volt lithium batteries all the way across and put, you know, five in a boat or whatever. It depends on what you want to spend. But you can definitely do not have to spend the money for lithium to get this done. There's many ways to do it. You just need more power. And two smaller ones together are better than one really expensive big one. Well, Brad, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about you, you you go deep into a lot of things, which is why you're on here all the time helping us uh, educate, you know, the listeners. But going deep into kind of your system and, and knowing that it would last you for years to come, cost breakdown, you know, I'm kind of a big numbers guy and so are Bass Edge listeners, you know. When, when you look at AGMs to replace every two years versus lithiums that will last for, let's say, uh, what, eight years, I, I would assume – you know, if you had five batteries at $300 per AGM, that's what, $1,500 every two years or eight years is $6,000 for the AGM side of the equation versus kind of what you were speaking of, the three, you know, lithiums at a thousand per, you know, 12 volt times two, 3,000 per 36 volts or 5,000 over eight years. Is that kind of along the lines of, of what you came up with? Yeah. And I hadn't compared and I'll be honest with you, Aaron. I'm running my lithium, the first ones that I purchased. We got them in kind of a group deal. It wasn't a, it wasn't a sponsorship deal or anything. And we purchased two for $1,400, I think, and that came with the charger. That was a bargain five or six years ago. I'm still running those two same lithiums today. So so they've got five years on them, and that's five years of me using them. So they've been all over the country five times. And, you know, that's something exactly what you're getting at. You look at that, and most of these lithium uh, battery companies, just like ProGuide you were talking about, they're 10-year warranties, 10 years. And I'm discovering that, you know, after five years of use in my boat, they do have longevity, and um, and I've had no issues. So if they are installed correctly and wired correctly, yes. I mean, lots of things can work in your favor in the long run financially if that's the route you decide to go. Right. I want to also add that when, when you're looking at the uh, AGMs versus lithium, Yes, the cost up front obviously is much greater with the lithium, but the key here is either way a consumer decides to go, the power portion of this, I think we've all decided, although Brad has a phenomenal system that he described with three 12-volt batteries listed, you know, set up in parallel for his cranking and electronics – He's, he's not going to lose anything, and the reason he does that is to have a backup. But any consumer with today's electronics, if you're going to spend $8,000, $9,000 on electronics, you, you've got to be willing to spend four to $5,000 in power because that's what you need to power these units. And on the cranking and electronics side, parallel is necessary with two 12-volt batteries just to kind of be a standard of equipment. Like Brad said, it could be a 229 group 29 lead acids. It could be two, you know, maybe 80 amp hour, 12 volt batteries uh, would probably work really well. But Brad, there's also been some, some new uh, technology with the lithiums since this, you can get the 100 amp hour, even some battery companies have offer a 120 amp hour. So, so this is all changing technology. Obviously we talked about that with Pate, uh, Aaron, like we mentioned, go back and listen to to a pre, our previous episode that talks about the types of batteries and, and the systems that are out there. But really wanted to dive into this, obviously, for the listeners, letting them know if you're working off one lead acid or one 12-volt lithium for your cranking and charging, 
your your length of life is going to be pretty short. And to make your system work properly for a longer length of time, two 12-volt batteries in parallel are going to be the most effective way to go. Brad, you know, we, we talked about discharging in low percentage. How do you go ahead and provide your final take on power for our listeners and what they need to do and understand in an analytical perspective from units that they're purchasing to power that they're purchasing? I would really, really tell them to focus on amp hours. And uh, don't get focused in on the lithium. One of the misleading things that are kind of out there that are really miss are how long they last during the day, guys. I'm talking about during the day, how much power you have during the day. And so, therefore, lithium is so great, you only need 136 volts, and it'll last you the entire day. Depending on how you fish and how you touch that trolling motor, that is true. But to me, one lithium battery, honestly, is worth about three and a half to four hours or 36 volt a day. But that depends on the amp hours and how hard you're using it. Um, the battery people will be like, well, what's Holman talking about? Well, I'm not fishing like Bill Dance sitting down and making casts in my pond. I have my trolling motor cranked up, and I am covering water throughout these events during practice. And I'm using a tremendous amount of electricity, so I have to have that power. They last about the same length distance as, as the AGMs, the acids do. So don't let them, you know, don't don't get that idea in your head. But the value is there long term because they do last year after year after year, and they do not get weaker whereas our AGM and acids do. That's great stuff, Brad. And I mean, one of the things that we know is that you've got to have the volts in order to really get a clear picture of what you're seeing on the graph. Otherwise, uh, chances are you're probably fishing for clutter that's not even out there in the water. Would, would you agree? Yeah, that's something we haven't even brought up. You know, that's one of the biggest questions we get um, in the electronic industry. With me, it's tied in with the bass tank and Garmin and everyone that I'm involved with. The biggest thing we get is how do we clear that screen up? And there's many, many issues to that. But one of the main things is not enough power. Um, that graph needs to be reading 12 volts all the time. That's what it needs to be receiving at the minimal 12 volts. If you've only got one 12 volt battery hooked up to it and over the course of the day, it's going to be very difficult for that battery to keep delivering the full 12 volts. But two in parallel will get it done. Absolutely agreed. Brad, thanks so much for being back. Guys, we've got to move into the next feature angler spotlight coming up right after this message i am Bassmaster elite series angler patrick walters this is mlf pro circuit angler trevor fitzgerald this is bass elite series pro brandon polony i am mls big five pro circuit angler Graybuck. this is 2020 bass angler of the year clark wendland stay right here for more bass edge radio Know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Hey, Bass Edge fans, you want to win your next fall fishing derby? Today, we're going to tap into the mind of BASS Elite Series Angler and most recently, BASS Open Sam Rayburn champion Keith Combs in this featured angler spotlight. Many of us just saw him receive a very important classic berth that's eluded him the last couple of years, but as one of the best offshore anglers of the country, it is always great to have you back on Bass Edge, Keith. Hey, Kurt. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, Keith, big uh, congratulations, like Kirk mentioned, for the win on Sam Rayburn, BASS Central Open, kind of there on your home water with the lake being kind of fishing a little stingy there and, and being in a low water situation. What did that win mean for you after coming in so close to winning the final Elite Series event this season? Well, I was just, I was really excited to close the season out on a really high note. You know, of course, I, I get to go to the Classic uh, via that win. That's that's a big deal. I mean, um Honestly, when you, you miss the classic, it's a long off season because you're just in your head, you're just reviewing all the things you did wrong. You know, you want to, you want to make it every year. So I don't have to 
stress on that this year. I'll you mean you don't like working and, at the tackle uh, booth, you know, on the, during the show while everybody <laughs> else is out there fishing? I don't. I mean, you know, it's I, I don't mind doing uh, my sponsor commitments at all, but when you're right there and the rest of your buddies are out there fishing, it's yeah, it's painful. Absolutely, I can I can see where you're coming from on that, Keith. Let's let's break down your success at Rayburn in the fall, man. You've had several big wins throughout the years on Rayburn. The fall seems to really show out for you. What are you able to capitalize on that other anglers might be missing in that fall season? Maybe not particularly Sam Rayburn. Obviously, we can work that into the mix here, but just the fall in general, what's making Keith Combs super successful? On a lot of the East Texas lakes, you know, like, Rayburn, Conroe, Toledo, places where I've got a lot of past experience, that comes into play. You know, on places that you know well, you can take a few, you know, not crazy gambles because it's going to be tough fishing in the fall, but you can take a few gambles to get a, a couple big bites. But, you know, Rayburn was fishing tough this go around. And I knew after a few days of practice that I wasn't going to be able to go out there and just fish for big ones. I needed a good mix. You know, I needed a big fish pattern and I needed a couple ways to catch keepers and I had to lean on several different patterns to get it done this week um and I, and I think that was key you know not just being locked into to one thing you can do that in the fall but the lake's got to be fishing good and Rayburn wasn't fishing good this past week so I had to have multiple patterns so talking about multiple patterns what about kind of when you look at brush versus say structure versus grass you know how do you make the determination of how to spend your practice time in preparation for a tournament in the fall months keith well at rayburn i i sampled a lot of brush uh, man-made brush in practice and uh, i found that the fish really didn't want to be in it i caught a couple of big fish but it was a tough bite so like i said i caught a couple big fish and i did check a few places every day uh, but I wasn't very successful in the tournament fishing man-made stuff. Um, so I, I did, I, I found fish on offshore structure on some good hard spots near, near Creek channels. And I also fished uh, grass with a uh, bladed jig, a striking thunder cricket. So that was, I had all three of those patterns going on and I, I needed every bit of it to catch enough to win. Keith, when you're spreading yourself out like that with different patterns based on, obviously, necessity, how the fish are setting up, uh, trying to catch the quality of fish to to win an event, knowing that it's tough to get a big bite, do you try to determine a section of the lake, or are you running a lot of history on that, and it just doesn't matter where it is because, you you, you know, like an area like Rayburn or, or a lake like Rayburn, you have, I'd say, a thousand days on the water out there, maybe hundreds, but but uh, whatever it is, it's a heck of a lot more than most people have. So are you trying to concentrate in an area of the lake that you feel like is firing better that you've noticed in practice, or is it just running the whole lake itself? I did this week. Um, you know, in the last time we had an open here, I was I was literally fishing a 25-mile stretch of lake, you know, running in and hitting a place really quick and moving on. But it's not easy to do that uh, at Rayburn at this lake level. E- you know, even knowing the lake, there's a lot of stuff that I'm really I'm not comfortable running because of the stumps that are showing up. So I didn't fish a, a lot of the you know, the extreme north end or a few creeks that I normally have on my milk rub just because it takes a long time to get in and out of those places. So I, I did um, actually find, you know, two two main creek arms that I could, uh, you know, I could catch fish fishing offshore and I could also slide up and fish a couple little key places in the grass. You know, looking back on it, that, that was a good call because we had that big wind. You know, like I said, it's hard yeah. to get around – yeah, it was hard to get around anyway just because of uh, the, the stumps. But then when you combat that 30-mile-an-hour wind, it was, you know, really um, really nice just to be able to go fish deep for a little bit. If that wasn't working, go up and fish shallow. And, uh, you know, looking back, that was a good call. But, yeah, I had two main areas that I, I really focused on this week. So breaking down the structure, we kind of understand hard spots. You're talking about spots with maybe some some gravel. Show. Is there shell beds at Rayburn? There's probably some. some, but it's more um, like what we get is a real hard, a real hard clay. Um, you know, so so the lake is low, but it's been lower than, than this several times, two times. And um, a lot of times what happens is an area gets – 
you know, like a, a hard break or something like that, it gets the top of it gets exposed during a low water period, okay. and the the wind just really sweeps all that clay off there, and there's like a real hard spot. You can see on some of the main lake points now that are getting exposed. You'll see it's like a rock, but it's not really rock. It's it's more of a clay, but it's when you bring your bait through, it's really really hard. And I found a couple of those areas. I had two that were holding fish. Um, they wouldn't stay on them and feed all day. It was just kind of a morning thing because they were totally out in the middle of nothing, just a hard spot right. off the side of a drain. So you get in there early, you can catch a few fish. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that, that I didn't really realize because these were new spots to me. I never, I found them this week. Um, gotcha. So I didn't realize that I needed to be there at daylight to, to get those fish to, to react. Like the place I caught two four pounders on the third day, I fished that place the first day of the tournament and the second day of the tournament without a bite. But I got in there earlier on that third day, and the fish were biting. So, I mean, I think looking back on the first day especially, I had my timing really, really bad. And towards the end of the second day, I was able to say, you know what, these fish are not biting offshore late in the day. Go up and fish some grass with a thunder cricket. And and I made some big calls doing that. So timing was very important in this one. And it took me three days to get my timing at least All going down. in the right direction. Right. Interesting. So are you seeing these fish on, on those hard spots, like on your side scan and, and down scan, or or is, are you, are you kind of scoping to see these fish? How, how are they setting up for you in that structure scenario? Well, the, the couple of spots that I, that I found fish on, which I only found two, I was just graphing and saw these, you know, these spots on my side imaging. They're not very big, and they're not. Uh, there's not much of a drop off on them. They're just just a hard spot, kind of on a mud flat. And right. so I found them, and I thought, well, you know, that's unique. There wasn't very many fish on them either spot when I found it, but I did get a couple bites, and I wasn't getting many bites on Rayburn in practice. So that you know, if I got a bite on something, it was going on the hit list. <laughs> right. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really wasn't trying to um, use my electronics to target fish on these spots because they, they weren't very big. I'll just cast a worm or a jig to them. If I got bit, I'd set the hook. If not, I'd, I'd you know I'd get out of there pretty quick. That was it. How did you end up breaking down that grass bite? Was it a, was a scenario where you you fished two hundred yards of grass because Rayburn's stuffed full of grass right now. A lot of creeks got a lot of grass you have some grass that kind of floats out and long taper and points you've got some grass with really nice hard edge where it breaks off into eight nine ten eleven feet at times so did you just have to cover water and find a stretch that you felt like were holding grass or was there actually a pattern within the grass that you could concentrate on points or hard edges or backs of pockets or or something of that nature can you kind of explain how that came about to uh, work that thunder cricket in those grassy areas well it was just probably just because uh, you know i live close to the lake i didn't practice grass all week during my practice period but last month we were going out for fun trips in the evening just piddling around and uh we would just go fish grass and um so like, me and my wife would just go and fish some grass and the fish were biting really good that last hour before daylight. They would show themselves. And, you know, I never, I just never thought I would need to go and fish those areas in this tournament because I didn't feel like those were the caliber of fish. But once it got going and I saw how tough it was and thought, well, you know, really no need to go practice those areas. I know there's probably going to be a few fish in them. There's probably going to be a lot of anglers in them. But when I drove by them in the tournament, there was nobody in those couple little stretches of grass that had fish and, and the fish were still there. They've been there for a month and it wasn't nothing special. Some of them have a little ditch. Uh, one area it's got real patchy grass. So it had like just, just more clumpy stuff. So it had a lot of voids in between the grass, a lot of sand spots. But yeah, just some places I've been hitting this past summer for, for fun. And uh, they, <laughs> so, so can we credit Jennifer for part of this win then? Can you tell me that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those, those are her grass lines. Yeah. <laughs> those are her grass lines. I like it. I like it. That's freaking awesome. Yes, sir. Keith, uh, last question before we go to break. Uh, when you're breaking down techniques, how does forward-facing sonar factor into your decisions now? I mean, obviously, you're probably best known for cover fishing, right? Brush piles. Um, I mean, here, obviously, you know, fishing some new stuff, admittedly. You know, some structure out there that, that isn't generally on your, your Rayburn 
uh, I love that word, that lingo, your hit list, right? So how, how does Ford facing sonar factor into Keith Combs' decision on on presentations and, and how to be effective out there on the water? Well, I think it's a great tool, and in some places, it's magical. Like some of the places that we go and fish for smallmouth, you know, a lot of times if you see a fish, if you're in a smallmouth area and you see a smallmouth, it's a smallmouth. Rayburn's a little bit of a different um, type place because it's got so many different kinds of fish in it. You know, if you get on a place that's got bass, well, it's probably got catfish, drum, um, sand bass, you know, big gizzard shad. It's got, a, it's got a variety of other fish there on the same spot. So that's what you got to watch on Rayburn. Um, you know, just because you're seeing fish, does not mean that that's bass. And just because you're seeing fish look at your bait, it doesn't mean those are bass either. <laughs> um, you know, that, it's a different kind of place, but you know, I have, um, I'm bird neg alive on my boat and I can, I can look way out and I can see the brush pile or I can, I can scan around a spot. And if, if I'm not seeing anything, well, I don't stay very long. I might make one or two casts if I'm not seeing any kind of activity. So it, it helps in that sense, but I'm not out there, you know, targeting, seeing one fish and, and, and casting and casting and casting and trying to catch that fish. I just, I don't fish that way here. So it's a great tool just to see the activity level on the spot. It's a great tool to make those accurate casts. Like one area I fish, it's just a few isolated stumps on a ridge. And it, it makes casting that crankbait and, and hitting those stumps easier than ever before because I can line, line up perfectly and know exactly how far that stump is from the boat and watch my bait come right by it, hit the stump, you know, instead of making 20 casts, I'm making three casts and I'm out of there. So it's a great tool for improving your efficiency for sure. Awesome. Great info there. Breaking down the fall bite here on Bass Edge Radio with BASS Elite Series angler Keith Combs. We're going to quickly power pole down for a break. Hang in there. We'll be back in a jiffy after these short messages. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real world punishment. The power pole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool. Swift. PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge is presented in part by Mercury Marine, returning with professional bass elite angler Keith Combs in this episode's featured angler spotlight. Mercury Marine, go boldly. Keith, as we continue traveling through the fall season and temperatures begin to work their way into the low 60s zone, you know, how is this going to change your approach to catching winning caliber fish in the fall? Well, as the temperatures drop, I think the bite gets a lot more predictable. We, we've had that prolonged summer this year at Rayburn, and fish were just all over the place. But temperatures drop, and the fish will start to relate to, um, I, I would say, like angler-friendly type structures. Instead of them being on big flats cruising around, they'll be starting to relate to channels and hard breaks, drains, something you can you can be more specific on and narrow your search. That's a big thing, you know, because like I look at Rayburn right now and see fish on everything. But as or, or out, out in the middle on nothing, <laughs> just on bait, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people did well last couple of weeks just looking on the forward facing sonar, wandering around over like 50 foot of water. <laughs> they're, they're out there right now. One day I was trying to figure out how to get into an area. I was idling just out in the middle of the lake through the stumps, trying to make sure I had a good safe run to run in there. And I see bass just coming up out in the middle of timber in the middle of the lake and no drop no nothing just 30 foot of water and trees and uh <laughs> yeah they, that's a tough that's a tough scenario when how do you target that you know it's, it's difficult but they'll get a lot more predictable as the temperatures drop you know speaking of those kind of scenarios keith do you change your bait you know do you use a different size of bait or are you going to a completely different you know type of lure altogether for you know trying to upgrade or or catch a bigger size of bass I, I had to use several different baits this past week to, to get it done you know i caught fish on a jig a worm um vibrating jig and two different crankbaits um three different crankbaits actually so it took a lot of 
change up to, to get things to go. I tried different colors and different sizes of worms on several different spots to get a couple extra bites. It never hurts to change. And I'm not sure I was ever, ever perfectly dialed into exactly all the right colors and, and the right baits this week um, because it was tough for me. But it doesn't hurt. You know, I mean, when fishing's tough, I've seen several times where I have, say, a co-angler in my boat or a buddy fishing with me, and he's throwing something a little bit different than I thought would work and getting a lot more bites. Changing up is never a bad idea. Yeah. And speaking of change, you know, tacking on to what uh, Kurt previously talked about with the water temperature being in the 60s, as kind of that next phase of water temperature will start to decrease into the 50s. Are there additional changes, kind of quantum leaps, uh, that you will see fish make in, a, in relation to overall positioning and how they'll react to lure presentations? Well, they'll uh, really start to target shad. Even the real big fish will get on a shad diet, um, you know, when that temperature gets down there in the mid-50s. So I'm a lot of times I'm able just to say I can throw a, you know, a crankbait that looks like a shad or tail spinner or a spoon or something like that that really resembles a shad very well. Whereas in this tournament, I had to throw baits that imitated several different types of forage. So that pattern will get a lot more defined as the winter goes on and, and those bigger fish get off of whatever they're trying to feed on and they just solely target shad. So, yeah, it becomes a lot easier going out and fishing in November and December around here because your options get a little bit more limited, and that's nice. Keith, do you feel like part of that is because those bait fish that you're seeing out there, kind of as you mentioned, out there in the middle of nowhere, very hard to target. As the water decreases, are they sucking in to these other areas you're talking about, the the structure spots more effectively, the, the drains more readily? Is that what's kind of grouping these fish up a little bit? And, and if so, what is it that triggers those shad? Is it the lower temps? Yeah, it's going to be temp. Um, so what you'll see is, you know, we're getting a cold front today. Well, first off, like, like in September, those shad, they're from top to bottom. And you'll see lots of fish blowing up on the surface. And then you get a couple cold fronts, and those fish, the shad are in the same areas, but they just get a little bit deeper. Then when the temperatures get out of the 70s and, get, and start hovering in that upper 60s, then you'll start to see the shad actually start to start relating to structure again, like channels and hard breaks. Mm-hmm. But when that temperature drops into the 50s, all of the shad will go to the deepest parts of a channel, you know, and, and get in that, those channel bends in that 20, 25 foot range. And it's easy feeding for the bass. They'll school up again and they'll target those shad that are pushed into those channels because they're trying to stay warm. There you go. Yeah, that kind of wrapped that great in there. Easier for the anglers, too, when, when they're all bunched up together like that rather than being crazily scattered like they have been the last few weeks. Keith, you, you've had yeah. some unbelievably consistent seasons over your career. I remember the days when Keith was, you know, three to 400 hours on a motor in a season, you know, kind of learning new bodies of water as you competed on the Elite Series, originally coming from, you know, the FLW Tour and having some really solid performances there. Uh, Then, you know, these AOI, continuous seasons of top tens, and and Keith Combs' name was always in that mix. The last couple years, a little rocky, maybe. How will you revamp things to recontend for an AOI title in 2023 on the Elite Series? Yeah, the last couple have definitely been been a struggle for me um but not all in a bad way you know i've had very inconsistent seasons right but i've also had been in the mix to win a couple times and, and actually have, have won a couple tournaments Absolutely. um i don't know that i can change a whole lot to get back to those more consistent seasons i am going to do some more pre-practicing and things like that this year than i've been able to do in in the past we've just had a lot going on but, uh, you know, some of the fisheries, like we're going to fish Okeechobee and we're going to go to Seminole, Murray, some places I haven't been to in a while. And I'm going to make pre-practice runs this winter again, just to kind of see those places, uh, get a visual of, uh, you know, what I want the fish to be doing when I get there. And that helps me a lot. Just riding around, just kind of looking at things and knowing what's around the next corner. You know, I don't want to go to Okeechobee and say, well, where's the hydrilla? I want to know where it's at before I get there. So that's one thing I'm going to do. This schedule, when I look at it on paper, it lines up better for me. I've had some really good finishes on the Tennessee River back 
in the early part of my career, but um, and when I say Tennessee River, I'm talking like our usual stops like Chickamauga, Pickwick, Gunnersville. But the last few years, I've struggled on those places. And um, honestly, what it boils down to is a lot of the stuff that I had success doing years ago just doesn't work anymore. Those places get so much pressure. I think those fish are so conditioned that, you know, they're, they're not always out there on those ledges like they used to be and things like that. So I got to get a little bit more uh, responsive in that sense. But the good thing is we don't have those places on our schedule for 23. Right, so, uh, right. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking out there. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Hey, Keith, you know, talking about hours on a motor, you know, that's a lot of time, a lot of experience on the water, just life experience, tournament experience in different situations, different parts of the country. Give me your thought, your overall perception of how it just seems like in this day and age, we we have this whole new generation, younger generation of anglers just really making some noise and and moving up into the sports top ranks, you know, much quicker than than we've seen in the past. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of, you know, especially like if you look at the opens and really anywhere, there's a lot of uh, really young kids that are that are out here doing it and you know like when like me and kurt were getting started you didn't see that you know and i I think that you can credit that a lot of that to college fishing high school fishing 20 years ago that wasn't there and so you know a young fisherman never really got exposed to tournament fishing the way that he can now you know so he he might have went on a different career path 20 years ago now gets in there and says this is my deal i want to be a fisherman you know, if he's got, if his family can help him get there, support him and, and, and are willing to do that, then he's got a better avenue than ever before. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's just something that you always see as far as you mentioned electronics. Like younger people are always up to speed on electronics a little bit more. But, you know, I, I don't think that forward-facing sonar is something that you're going to, it seems that way right now. It seems like, well, it's, you know, you got to have it or you can't compete. But it'll be like every new phase. There'll be there'll be niches where you better be using it or you're going to get beat. And there'll be times where if you're using it, you're going to get beat. So it's just, you know, right now it's a new thing. A lot of guys are making a lot of noise about it, but it's, this is bass fishing and there's always phases and fads and some things work good for a few years and then they kind of stop working. So that's just how it works in this sport. Yeah. You know, I was talking with uh, Brad Holman. He had also a, a, a good finish there at Sam Rayburn. He, he made a comment to me that if it wasn't for forward facing sonar, he wouldn't have done as well as he did. Now you might perceive that as, Oh, well, Brad was out there using forward-facing sonar. Well, that was actually just the opposite case. Brad was up fishing shallow grass, similar to some of the fish that you were catching, Keith. And and he felt like if there wasn't forward-facing sonar, there would be so many more people fishing shallow on the grass that some of the later-in-the-day fish that he caught would not have been potentially available because somebody would have already been through that area two or three times. But because there's so many people now offshore that that has become something that didn't get as much pressure and allowed him to catch more fish later in the day in that, in the, in, in a, in a totally different pattern because forward facing sonar was keeping other people off the bank. So great point there, Keith, about adjustments in the sport how fads continue to take place, but it's not always that you have to follow those fads. It could be that it's opening doors in other areas. So kind of an interesting. Absolutely. I, I believe that. He made a great point there. And I mean, you think about the Alabama rig when it, when it hit the scene and this is kind of a hard comparison for the sonar and Alabama rig, but just try to follow me there. When it hit the scene, it was the, if you weren't throwing it, you couldn't <laughs> compete for a while, but Fish came because they, they get conditioned to seeing that and also seeing, you know, the way that anger set up on places. And the same thing will happen with, with forward sonar, but it's always going to be there. I'm not fighting it. It's a powerful tool and it's got its place, but it's not all the time. Right, right. All right. Great conversation. We're going to go into our Midway USA gift card giveaway, our listener question segment brought to us by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. This question came through our Ask the Pros BassEdge.com web link. Bob Koontz out of Minnesota asks, how important is crankbait wobble in the fall and winter and what should I look to be using in what conditions? 
Keith, what can you tell Bob about cranking in the fall and winter and the wobble? Wobble. And that's a good question. You know, the wobble or the action of the bait. I try to consider water temperature and also the, the size of the, the fish that I'm targeting. So what I mean by that is warmer waters, say the early fall, a lot of action because the bait fish is going to have a lot of action. And we get into later fall or cooler temps, everything's going to start to slow down. So I'm going to go to a tighter action and maybe fish my bait a little bit less aggressively. And when I mentioned targeting big fish, a lot of times I believe that the biggest fish are going to react to a wide wobble, a hard-hitting crankbait. Uh, so keep that in mind. You know, if you're if you're fishing Rayburn, maybe a harder wobble. If you're fishing Bull Shoals or something like that, you might get into a less aggressive bait. That's my best advice on that. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for sending in that question, Bob. And uh, very enlightening to get Keith's response on that topic. Bob, we do need one more thing from you, and that is to simply log on to BassEdge.com, which you are sounds like very familiar with. Click the Claim Your Prize tab, fill out the information, address, and let us know that you heard Keith answer your question right here on Episode 387 to receive your Midway USA gift certificate where there is all things fishing and all things outdoors. Reminder, Bass Edge listeners, keep firing in those questions to the show. We'll get them answered to you by some of the absolutely best anglers in the industry can't go wrong with shooting a question to us here on bass edge radio and hearing it taken care of right here on the program well keith super excited uh, for your accomplishment getting it done there at rayburn on really is just stingy stingy conditions uh, there a couple weeks ago and securing that Bassmaster classic berth uh, some last words as we uh, begin to conclude today's interview well yeah it, it's great to go into um you know, this off season, it's going to be a short off season. Uh, but yes, as I already began to think about, you know, next year and next season in the classic, it just makes it a lot more enjoyable finishing out with a win. So I'm excited and, and thank y'all for having me on the show today. I really had fun talking to y'all. Absolutely, Keith. Thanks for hanging with us. Look forward to watching out on the water next year. Certainly be tuning in to the classic down there at Loud and Teleco. Hopefully you can make some noise there as well. Everybody hang right in there. Aaron and I are going to be right back with a few concluding thoughts on this episode of Bass Edge Radio know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology megaware keel guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWear Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWear Keel Guard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it, power how you need it, power when you need it. Kurt, you know, Keith has been on here numerous times, uh, great fisherman, but man, you put him on Sam Rayburn when it's when it's fishing that stingy. Is there any wonder that he, he wins the tournament to qualify for the Bassmasters Classic? No, not, not initially. You know, obviously he's a favorite heavy favor coming into the tournament what was super cool about the interview you know he's fishing still after hundreds maybe a thousand days on this body of water but definitively hundreds of days on this body of water. no doubt no doubt he's still fishing stuff that's new he's still expanding on knowledge of the fishery he's still evolving into what bass are doing based on different conditions of different years. Not maybe necessarily a fall condition, but based on a condition when the lake's a little bit lower, 
you know, some of his stuff isn't working nearly as effectively as it has in the past. You think of 46 pounds to win. He averaged a little over 15 a day. Right. That's right. tough bassin. But he was able to make the adjustments, fish, hard structure areas, stuff that really I'm not saying it's not his forte because it is. But he's fishing new spots, he specifically said in the interview. I think that is really profound. It is, and it was also very profound when he was talking about because of the lake being low. He's like, "Man, I, I didn't want to go in those places. That's kind of scared me." And I'm like, "Oh boy, if that guy with that kind of <laughs> yeah. those kind of days on the water was scared to, uh, you know, navigate the logs and the trees and everything else, yeah, yeah you know, I'd be a little bit beyond puckered on that one." Well, when he was saying that, and and I said, "Well, didn't a lot of us get very lucky?" And isn't in some cases ignorance bliss because right. you know, I have no clue about a lot of those things, and I, I you know, I think some of it safe now of course you know I, I watch my p's and q's i'm not running all the way to the back end of a pocket or something like that but uh i'm sure i ran by some stuff that keith probably wouldn't have because he knew it wouldn't have been very smart right <laughs> but, right right. but uh yeah that's bassin in, in this century and uh, on on a lake that can be hazardous but at the same time, you just got to go fishing. That's know? right. You yeah. just got to go fishing. You can't idle out of the launch and just idle everywhere you go. So. Right, right. Well, and I also appreciated, you know, it's always good having uh, Brad Hallman on. I mean, he's covered so many topics for us, but just kind of looking at that that battery supply because uh, you and I have talked about it a lot before. You know, we've got the power pole charge system. That thing does wonders. But if you have a faulty battery, right, it's not a miracle worker. You know, you've still yeah, got yes. to make sure that you've got the right power source uh, moving from there. And I thought Brad did a good job on that. Wonderful job. From my own trials and tribulations, Bass Edge Nation, if you're running – Two units on front, one for live scope, one for one for your down scan and GPS stuff, and then, you know, a unit or two on the console. Save yourself agony. Run two 12-volt batteries in parallel for your electronics and cranking system. It's going to save you in the long run of plenty of heartache because I've had it. So, <laughs> yes, you have. <laughs> well, Kurt, uh, again, another great episode, another great show of Bass Edge for the November 1st as we head off into uh, making our way towards the end of the year. First Thanksgiving and next we'll be talking about Christmas gifts, Kurt. Yeah. Yeah. It's all it's all going to be fired up here real soon, man. I'm, I'm excited about next month's show. We're going to break back into some more uh, kind of end of season tournament activity. And uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to, to see how things kind of shake out for the remainder of 2023 all right for kurt dove i am aaron martin be sure to stay on all things bass edge through our social media and certainly the website bassedge.com we look forward to joining you again in two weeks november 15th episode 388 so long everybody Presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Midway USA, Mercury Marine, Power Pole, and Transport Graphics.